welcome back to the Some Sort of Miracle podcast. I'm Ed, and I'm joined today by Luke. Hello. By Emily. Hi. By Claire. Hiya. And for the first time to the podcast, I'm very excited to say by Lizzie Kitchenside. Hello. Welcome to the podcast, Lizzie. Would you be all right just to kind of give us a quick who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm currently a gap year intern at Adelston Salvation Army, um, which basically means that um, I, I live above our charity shop um, and volunteer full time um, and um, focusing on different projects like um, the Garden of Hope, which is our community garden um, and the everyday running of our core. Awesome. Yeah, so we got Lizzie onto the episode uh, as she's kind of, well, when we were planning this, I said really hot on the environment and then made a climate change joke about that. But I'm not going to, well, I've kind of done that anyway. But um, yeah, that's why we, we thought Lizzie would be really great to come and share her expertise with us uh, on the podcast. And I got a little clapping hands emoji there. So we're okay. We got away with it. Good. Um, so yeah, we thought, you also got some eye rolls at the same time, so I don't. <laughs> I, I think everyone here enjoyed the joke. We don't need to um, do audio description for the eye rolls. <laughs> um, yeah, we thought we would kick off the episode by just uh, asking Lizzie a little bit about um, her experience with kind of environmental uh, work and what's going on at Adelston, because uh, you've just been awarded the Bronze Eco Church Award, haven't you? Could you tell us a little bit about how that works? Yeah, sure. Um, so um, it's basically, um, it's through Aroshi UK, um, which is sort of a, a cross denominations, a, a resource hub looking at um, sustainability and the environment for Christian churches. Um, and Eco Church is sort of an award scheme. Um, there is bronze, silver, gold, um, and you can fill in these surveys online um, to, to figure out how sustainable your church is. Um, so it looks at different aspects of church um, your individual lifestyles as a congregation um, the the worship and teaching that that you produce and your land uh, your building um, how you use the building so it takes into consideration a lot um, of different aspects of church um, which is really nice and then it sort of awards you points um, based on where your church is at and then it offers um, guidance and support and resources on how you can further um, your progress to to get up and up and up hopefully into gold one day that sounds really cool Lizzie so I'm interested to know then how did you um how did it come about that the church was gonna sort of um go for that award and did you find that actually that was something that your congregation was already passionate about or did was it something that maybe one or two of you were particularly passionate about that you managed to generate this kind of um interesting culture in your church that that was something that you should be working at and developing as a church family yeah so there's there's a couple of us um within our, our youth church who all felt quite passionate about the the current situation of the climate crisis um and we just saw the the link straight away to to church and to hope and then to jesus um and we just knew that we had to do something and um, so a few of us actually wrote a letter um, to the TC um, and cycled it to um, Regent Hall because um, the territory headquarters had a leak that week so we couldn't go to the building um, and and that was sort of quite a, a 
a sort of focus point for us um, and that really got the core invested in what we were talking about we explained the contents of the letter and and what it meant to us and sort of got others really in, involved in in the process so they could sign the letter themselves um they kind of suddenly sort of joined the dots of where jesus is at and where the bible is at and, and creation and and the state that the world is in um and and the the opportunity that we have as a church um so so people sort of bought in and i think for a lot of people they were thinking about it um and it was always there but they didn't necessarily know what to do with with those thoughts and emotions but but this was sort of like a a real reason to to buy in and to just kickstart the conversation um so people from across you know generations have have all sort of spoken up and and it's become a, a, a talking point for for us at Adelston um so people have bought into it yeah that's really cool do you, would you say, Lizzie, that there's been a particular turning point or a moment for you in your faith journey that did make you have this realisation that um, or spark that that passion in you for God's creation and the fact that as a church we really ought to be considering sustainability? Um, what was the thing that sort of, I don't want to use another, like, set your heart alight because it's another cringy reference to... A climate change humour. <laughs> what was the thing? You know, was there a turning point for you? Has it been something that you've really held from a young age, or what sort of yeah sparked that for you? So I wouldn't say that I've been a Christian my whole life, but I have always had this sort of longing for for justice, um, and I've always loved being outside and in nature. And so coming to faith at around the age of sort of thirteen or so. Um, when the discussion of climate change began changing um, and my generation sort of began began being involved in that conversation, um, it just pushed it further and further um, and it suddenly gave me a reason to be passionate about it because it felt like something that Jesus would be passionate about. Um, so I think it sort of developed as my faith developed really um, and it, it gave me some sort of direction um, as of what to do with all of these feelings and all of this passion that, that I have for for justice um, and for the environment because I see the two are really interlinked to each other um, so there wasn't really sort of a pinpoint moment but I think God has put different opportunities um, in my life that have really allowed me to, to develop sort of ideas and to, to voice my opinion um, like being on this podcast um, so it sort of just thumbled along and, and built up and up and up um, really as my faith developed too um, but but really I see myself as a Christian um, before anything before being an environmentalist or you know climate activist or whatever you want to call it um, I see myself as a Christian and, and just feel that this is something that that Jesus would be passionate about um, if he was with us today. Amazing. That's really helpful thanks Lizzie. Um, we have a listener group here with this podcast that on Facebook and I wonder whether you'd be up for um, just if any, any any of the listeners have any questions, um, if they could just post those in the listener group, would you be happy if we kind of pass those on to you? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Awesome. So, yeah, if you're listening to this podcast and you would like to carry on the conversation, uh, please do get in touch um, either by getting in touch directly with us or by going through the listener group, which is on Facebook. And you can find it by searching SSOM listener group. Um, so my question, Lizzie, 
um, is how can we make church um, more sort of um, environmentally um, sustainable um, with with obviously perhaps um, specific focus on perhaps the um, smaller things because um, I'm sure we'd obviously both agree that it'd be awesome for every church to obviously have solar panels but um, I'm not sure how easy that sort of might be so what sort of small changes can we make um, to help our churches become more environmentally um, sustainable? I think um, as as Christians the, the first thing we can do is is prayer mm. um, and, and handing it over to God and actually opening up the, the conversation with each other so um, when we uh, wrote this letter to the TC, we also held sort of an evening meal um, where we cooked some some vegan food and some sort of low waste food um, and just shared together um, to sort of open the can of worms and to, to start talking about where people are at um, with with the environment and with climate change and how they understood it. Um, so, so opening up the conversation and, and getting people um, involved in the conversation and praying about it to, to see where God is, is leading us is, is always a great place to start. Um, practically, there's tiny things that we can do, um, like changing light bulbs um, or simply asking what light bulbs we use or how much insulation do we have in our building. Um, I lifted up a floorboard in our in our loft and found that there was just sort of nothing underneath it and was like, oh, that's how much insulation we've got. <laughs> um, so, so that's something that we're looking at now. Um, so I think it's a lot of asking questions. Sometimes they're silly questions like what's under that floorboard. Um, sometimes they're, they're bigger questions. Um, but I think making sure that sustainability is part of the whole conversation and not just sectioned off um, into, you know, a, a core council meeting um, every now and then. But actually in our play groups, how are we trying to reduce the impact that we have there? Um, are we using throwaway coffee cups? Are we using reusable coffee cups um, in our youth groups are we holding space for conversations about climate change um, is every meal that we're eating um, having meat in it um, or are we having a, a vegetarian option sometimes um, so you can take really tiny things like a, a meal that you have once a week with a group of teenagers um, and actually say this will be an act of worship this will be um, our, our standing up and saying that we want to do something about it um, and I think that there's really there's a lot of power in doing that um, and it empowers young people, uh, especially and, and people who don't always feel like they can make a difference um, because they're choosing to have, you know, a vegetarian meal or um, they're choosing to use a reusable coffee cup. So, so it's it's about just looking at the, the really sort of minute and small actions that we make and sort of reassessing how how we do things one at a time, I guess. It's really interesting and I love the way you highlighted that you kind of got opened up room for conversation around all of this and it just made me think about my own church experience and I don't think I've been in a church meeting or been in a church um, environment where we've had an open discussion about how we as a church contribute to the the, um, the climate crisis that's going on and I just think oh, wow why haven't we was, yeah that's such a, a really good point so Thanks for highlighting that. Have, have you guys had that at your church? No, it, I, it's a really good point that you make there. And I was thinking along similar lines, but I was also thinking about the way that we use um, 
especially the way that churches love to eat because so much of our gathering is around food isn't it and not particularly um like healthy foods and not particularly foods that the where the waste is good for the environment as well just thinking about we do use you know we use reusable cups and for shame the most recent sunday at, at church and um, our reusable our sorry not reusable our disposable cups um were leaking so we each had two disposable cups i'm really sorry lizzie i just feel like i need to like confess that to you um but yeah it's it's this realization isn't it that actually most of us are really walking into churches with our own like eco reusable coffee cups anyway so if we've got that then why are we then getting a disposable cup after the meeting but it is those small things if they're not highlighted to you it's it is a pattern and it's the habit isn't it um, and so I really think like it'll definitely be something that you know already I think oh yeah we should really put that as a discussion point we should be having those conversations definitely it's interesting because the church leader, I, I recently had done quite a few meetings on uh, care for creation, caring for the environment, to the extent where I was like, it's all I go on about. But then actually I realised that I might talk about that and preach about it on a Sunday. But where does it actually change in reality? What are we actually doing as a church to to do those small things, those small tasks that we can do to make a difference? Then I've been watching a lot of um, programmes recently about the environment because it is so much uh, the hot topic to think about. And watching, I think it was Country File this morning, actually. And they were talking about how it's as you fall in love with creation that you want to do something about it. Like, so as people spend time outside, as people enjoy being outside, going walking, doing exercise, just enjoying creation, that's the probably the main thing that will drive people to do something about it because they actually love it. Yeah, so um, to guess... Like it's been it's been interesting. Um, similar to that, so we've got a prayer garden, obviously, like here at our church, which for a while was kind of neglected. Um, I think I think we just sort of like, oh, it it's there, and we never really did anything with it. Um, but then over the summer months last year, um, there was a a, a group got together and made an, an effort to try and make something out of it and actually to use it more. And I think it was when, um, certainly for me, when I spent some time it, at, at, actually in the garden, it's like, oh, it's actually really quite nice out here. Um, it's a shame that it got in such a state beforehand. Um, so, and there was a real sense of enjoyment in when we got the prayer garden looking really nice again. Um, I think something for me in terms of like I, my own experience with it, um, I think it, it's been, I think for me, a real eye-opener in terms of things that I always assumed were always going to be, like, recyclable. So, for example, like, um, fresh juice cartons, they're, like, made of Tetra Pak. And I thought, oh, yeah, it's just cardboard. But actually, it needs to be recycled in a sort of, like, specific place. And then having a chat with um, one of our church members who's who's really who's obviously really keen for obviously um climate justice also and her and having that conversation about um how we could put up signs in the church hall about oh well you know say at morrison's you can like recycle batteries here and then you can take um this this up back in here and for us it was been 
I would say nowhere near, I suspect, um, Adelston's levels, but just having an early conversation is pretty, really interesting and definitely really helpful. Um, so yeah, that's sort of my experience of it. Yeah. I'm find, finding myself just thinking about loads of different things now and, and, and kind of, even though I've prepped for this episode, I didn't realize how little I've actually thought about this in a church context. Um, which is interesting. Yeah. Uh, at where we're, where we're at, we're quite lucky because we've got a little community hub in a, um, in, in a kind of over fifties flat block. Um, and we don't have a kind of a big building with loads of stuff going on. We've got three, um, kind of small kind of, um, waist height planters where we kind of grow potatoes and strawberries and that sort of thing and we've got a nursery that come down and um help us with the plants every now and then and the the kids like to come and pick the strawberries when they're when they're covered in slugs um but um yeah so i'm just thinking about there are yeah there are some stuff that some bits that we do well but actually um you know there's definitely lots of things that we could change if we were to, you know, really make a concerted effort. And I guess a lot of that does come from creating this space where you can have the conversation around, around your practices, around the way you think about uh, the climate and allowing people to really think about it in a, in a specific way, which I don't think we've done particularly well, perhaps in the church in general, um, where we're at, we've just finished doing a, um, a course called Beloved, uh, no, Belong. I should know the name of the course. Um, be- <laughs> belong. And it's looking at how we can um, make sure that church is an accessible place for people with uh, additional uh, needs or people with autism or neurodivergency or all sorts of things. Um, and well, as we've done that course together, it's actually allowed us to ask deeper questions and really think about the way that we do church and uh, make some changes. So I'm wondering, what was the name of the, the resource list that you spoke about, Lizzie, that it sounds like that kind of provided almost a similar thing for you? Yeah, yeah. So um, it's all on Arosha's Eco Church website, um, okay. and there are different sort of PDF files um, looking at things like energy um, or land usage or worship and teaching so um, there's some really great resources out there there's also resources like um, climate Sundays um, which offer teaching resources resources and sermons and tier fund have a climate emergency toolkit Um, so there's there's so much out there and it's just sort of knowing that it's there Um, but Arusha is a really great place to start if you want to sort of make direct changes within within your church um, context. That's really helpful. We'll make sure that all of those resources are linked in the listener group and on our Facebook page. So if you want to uh, see what we're talking about, then um, head over there and we'll make sure that we they're there for you. Yeah, so my question is, where does real change come from? Does it come from um, the bottom at a community level or does it come from the top um, at a leadership level I think for me as a church leader when the Salvation Army made it one of their the care for creation one of the mission priorities in a way it suddenly feel like this isn't just me going on about it this is the Salvation Army from the top down level going on about it in a good way so in one way it helps and that does kind of perhaps motivate change knowing that there's a wider picture 
But ultimately, because perhaps we're talking about the Salvation Army context, it's not necessarily enforced in the local level. Actually, it's kind of hoping that there'll be that desire from that local level to actually think that this is going to be something that we are focused about. And it's working out what people's personal passions are and getting people excited about being involved in that. Because however great a scheme is, perhaps from coming top down, if people aren't on board with it, you don't stand a chance. Absolutely. And it's got to come from a heart position, doesn't it? Like anything, it has to be um, the only way that these things will be mobilised is by someone's heart being like transformed in this area and having that desire for for it themselves. Um, so you'd like to think that change can come from both um, and that the two can work, you know, in tandem together. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's the, the ideal, isn't it? Um, where, but I, I think in a way we need, we need the leadership to, to go along with the change or to acknowledge and push change because ultimately they hold the keys to resourcing and finances and big decision and policy. Um, uh, yeah, they, they hold all of that power, don't they? So if we're going to see big change, not just in the Savage Army, but globally in the climate crisis it needs to be made by those in power but are they going to make those decisions without a groundswell of support holding them to account and pushing that through as, as a top agenda and actually saying this matters to us this matters for our future um we can't ignore it because it, it's one of the it's it's an issue that is a lot easier to deal with if you ignore it isn't it <laughs> um and that's not where what we need we need people to take it seriously and we need people to make it a top priority it was david attenborough's 96th birthday this week and um and in terms of he what he's done in terms of advocating for the environment has kind of created that from a top down he hasn't got political or power political authority but in terms of the the character he is has created that love so that people kind of going from bottom up have found something within him and something within his personality, which has got them on board with whatever it is he is advocating. And we think about the whole with Greta Thunberg and what she's done. It's kind of an ordinary person who has mobilised other people and seeing how everyone can get on board with it, recognises the power that power that the people do have when it comes to political decisions. And ultimately, if it's politicians want people to vote for them and this is an issue that the people are passionate about, that probably sways them in terms of putting resources in that direction, as you were saying, Ed. So it is that combination, isn't it, of bottom, top down, bottom up, meeting in the middle, hoping something works. I think, I, I think, I guess, like, the dream scenario is that when top and bottom push together and we all sort of um, catch on the catch on the wave and sort of work towards it together. Cause I think that's when um, I think the most, um, but I, I guess that's when the biggest amount of transformation can take place. And I think there is definitely um, great encouragement to be taken from the examples where it, where, where, whereby it is just one person or, or, or basically it is just, a small group and, and and i think that lizzie is sort of a, is, is sort of this great example of how it was just a small group of young people that then suddenly mobilized the whole church 
and then obviously um, how that's just grown. So I think with definitely encouragement, I think, to anyone listening who thinks, well, I'm just one person, I can't do anything about this. Um, I definitely believe that one person can do something and um, and that, yeah, there is definitely um, things that we can do, certainly from sort of the bottom level, but also um, well, obviously when the top gets involved as well, um, hopefully great things and actually positive things um, can actually happen. It's quite a confrontational issue, isn't it? Because it's demanding more from people than um, than that which doesn't meet the eye. You know, as a church, when we give teaching or we, we're preaching or we're giving Christian messages about, you know, spiritual disciplines and all these things that we ought to change those things are mostly hidden within ourselves within our souls and actually what this issue is is doing is forcing people to confront their lifestyle um, in a way that is visible to the eye and not only is that I think difficult because I think the church really struggles with conversation around stewardship uh, particularly where it involves finances and all those things but I think it's difficult because it's also there's a bit of a class struggle there I would say that typically being more environmentally friendly in terms of what we eat and what we purchase has been more of a middle class practice than it has for working class and so that that is a challenge isn't it for the church as well because we you know we don't want to become um a classist organization so I don't know whether you have any answers for that Lizzie but that's just what I'm thinking about at the minute, you know, it, it is a complex issue and it's confrontational. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think privilege is is a massive sort of layer to the conversation. Um, so making sure that if you are in a place of privilege, um, you're using that privilege to actually glorify God. Um, so you're using whatever you purchase um, is is a vote for the kind of world that you want and the things that you want to buy. So actually if if you have privilege to to buy things um that are more sustainable then make that your vote um that you want that to be sustainable but actually um for the majority of us um it might not be that we can afford to buy you know all of these super duper sustainable brands um so i'm i'm a gap year student um i don't have a lot of funds um and i try and live um as as low waste a lifestyle as i can um, I don't call myself a vegan because I I don't always eat vegan. I, I eat what I can when I'm eating with other people. Um, but what I buy is plant-based and vegetarian vegan food. Um, in regards to purchasing things, I buy as much secondhand, which um, is a lot cheaper than than buying you know new things, um, and is actually better than buying sustainable alternatives because you're avoiding the cycle of buying new things completely so so you're having zero impact um so when you look at the the small things again um you find that actually if i'm being told that i need to buy something then maybe it's not the most sustainable thing but actually maybe i can look at what i've got or what someone else has already got and doesn't want anymore um and and start looking there but i think as an organization um especially in in the uki territory um, in the United Kingdom, we need to um, own up to our privilege and actually say we have contributed massively 
to, to this issue. Whereas people in the global south are our brothers and sisters um, who are a part of the Salvation Army in less developed countries haven't. Um, and there's, there's a cost involved in that. Um, reconciliation has a cost. It's, you know, it's the sustainable solutions that they might be more sustainable in the long term, but actually they'll, they'll have a cost to us right now. Um, and we have to, you know, sit with that discomfort and the fact that, you know, we, we might have to make some sacrifices. Um, but that is because of the impact that we've had. And that is us saying sorry and, and reconciling back to people and offering, you know, so much more hope um, and a renewable future for, for people who have already got less than us. Um, so it's it's such a Christ-like attitude to take on, but so difficult to put into practice, um, especially as, as an organisation that has to think about business and things that are far beyond um, my brain. Um, but but it, it's, yeah, there's so, so many layers to it um, and, and privilege is a massive one um, that adds to the, to the climate crisis. Apparently, Martin Luther said, God writes the gospel, not in the Bible alone, but on trees and flowers and clouds and stars. What do you think that means? It's lovely, isn't it? I don't know what it means, but it's lovely. No, I use it in every sermon I talk about on creation. I love it. I'm going to have to steal that. Yeah. Well, where have you have you seen the gospel written in trees and stars and suns and flowers and whatever I forgot? Yeah, I think so. I think um, the number of times I've been out in nature and just been utterly struck by the beauty of it and reminded reminded that you know this beautiful landscape that we have in front of us is has the fingerprints of god all over it is it's incredible it is truly remarkable that we've got a gift such as the environment um that that we live in um yeah it it but it's striking me this whole episode that it's not been more on my thoughts to be honest (laughs) that um this whole uh yeah that the earth is such a gift um and yeah we do have this duty of care for it i remember um richard raw um talks about um how the first he describes the first incarnation of god being um the creation of earth um which is god giving himself um to creation and he he would describe himself as a panentheist uh if a pantheist believes that god is everything uh, a panentheist believes that god is within everything so the presence of god exists within the rock or the tree or the tree is not god but god his fingerprints there he it bears the essence of god in some sense and i quite like that worldview of actually seeing god everywhere we look seeing the divine interlaced within all of creation um but it's I, it's not a view that I could say that I carry with me twenty four seven. I wish I could. I wish every time I go outside the door, I could go out with a sense of awe and wonder. But sometimes I just need milk, and um, yeah, it's okay. Milk comes from creation, so it's all good. I think I'm absolutely with you, Ed, on the whole. Just being like really challenged and blown away by this sort of stuff. Like, I think before we started to record tonight, I I I, I thought I had a a fairly good grasp on things and. And, and 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 thought that I do all right. I'm not perfect, but I'm doing I'm doing an all right job on it. And yeah, it's definitely one of those things where 
it does stop and make you think. Um, I, again, I love that quote. Like, there's just, I think, I think so often we can take nature for granted, and uh, and it's one of those things where we wake up every morning and sort of ex- almost expect it to be there. And I think because we just kind of we cannot almost um, just become so accustomed to it. Um, it's so easy to to actually underappreciate, but yeah, it. I can just think of occasions when sort of it's been like a particularly striking sunset or something, and just how how often do we see things and just go, oh yeah, that's nice. I've seen that, and then we see it again another time and go, actually, yeah, God is in that, and it's just it's just blowing my mind i absolutely love the idea that 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 actually the essence of god is is absolutely in everything because i think if we approached life with that thinking and, and actually with that thought process then surely that would be a dramatic lifestyle change because um you know we wouldn't you know the way that we treat our planet we would never dream of treating God in the same way. Um, but, and so to, and so holding the belief that um, God is in the planet, God is in creation as a whole, I guess that really sort of challenges and makes you stop and think about the actions that, um, that we take. Sort of reminds me of um, that encounter in the book of Job, where Job has just been questioning God's sovereignty and God's goodness. And um, God's response is this like amazing few chapters where he outlines um, how he created the universe. And he's just like, he says like, who's the one that tells the lightning where to strike its path? who's the one that you know commands that the oceans roar and cease at the sound of his voice and and there's just this amazing few chapters where um god as creator is described in this book that most christians dismiss as oh you don't want to read job because it's horribly depressing but what it actually does is like god places job in context and in perspective with the universe and you know as humans we are both infinitely and deeply loved by God and also the tiniest speck aren't we in this vast vast universe that God's created so yeah I think that's amazing I also think you know there's studies that show particularly with Generation Z that this is such a um important issue politically for them that I also think that it is the way that most people in that generation will engage with the gospel because to have that conversation about creation to have that conversation with them about do you believe in a creator god can all of this perfect creation be here by chance and actually the conversation about stewardship I think is definitely the thing that is on the hearts of the younger generation and if if the church is to continue um evangelizing that that um portion of society that this is one of the key conversations to to do it through i think definitely yeah young people um care about this matter and and i think young people are either sort of 
switching off from it because that's the easier option and feel totally isolated or actually they um, are embracing it and reconnecting with nature and, and I think that that like people are, are genuinely turning to, to to the second alternative and, and are beginning to to reconnect um, and people might not pick up bibles every day but most people will step outside their door every day um, and so actually we need to pray that people see God um, in their in their everyday experiences um, like not everyone in the world has access to a bible um, but you can see that if God created that teeny tiny leaf uh, with all of that care and all of that attention how much does he care about us um, and I think that that's such an incredible thing to hold on to um, knowing that actually the gospel is preached from from um, not just a pulpit but from the natural world around us and I think that seasons uh, are a really great illustration of the gospel um it's like moving from autumn where everything is kind of dying um and decaying into winter where you know it's a kind of magical time because it might snow um and you know Christmas is on the horizon but it's like in Narnia if it stayed you know winter all the time like the white witch has, has cursed the land, so it's always winter. That'll be awful and cold and horrible. But there's that thrill of hope um, in the Christmas story of the baby Jesus um, in the literal darkness, because England is always dark at winter. And then suddenly everything just springs to life during spring um, and you just begin to see new life forming out of the ground. Uh, spring is one of my favourite seasons because everything just sort of brings itself back um, and and that goes in line with with Easter. Easter is during springtime, and Easter is when we see new life in Jesus. And there's sort of this continuous cycle and reminder every year of of new life, of of second chances, um, that we're not all left to to decay and to die, but actually Jesus offers us new life. Um, and and I love that that the Christian cal- calendar and and the the seasons um, just yeah, it, it works so well, doesn't it? When when you stop and think about it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just great to be able to, to look outside and to, to see, see the gospel um, in action without us having to overcomplicate it with big words and, and, com- and ideas. It's, mm. yeah. that, that's another thing that Richard Ra wrote about as well, that the death and resurrection is, like, is part of the pattern of creation. Um, so, yeah, you've described that so well that uh yeah i think we're all like looking at each other smiling on the screens like but obviously the listeners can't see us doing that but yeah, uh, yeah what we just said like really really speaks there's that beautiful song isn't there a nicole nordman song which is called seasons i don't know if you've heard it but that might be worth sharing because it describes mm. you know you are spring you are autumn you are winter you are summer and it just speaks through the seasons and the way that god is at work in each of those and mm. uh, it's become one of my favorite favorite song so maybe we could share that on the listener group as well yeah we'll make sure we do that because following on from that we often talk about how the creation happened in six days and whether we believe it was six days or whatever we kind of forget sometimes it's that continuing creation as you say in terms of the seasons and the things that come to life and each day god is still creating and continues to be that creator god not just as that one of i wasn't doing some weird dance (laughs) um and there's that I think probably increasingly that recognition that for people's mental well-being, being out in nature, being out in the environment, whether they recognise it as creation or not, there is something simply good about being out 
in nature, being out in creation. And if there is good news because we are out and our mental well-being is improved through that, then perhaps that in itself is is the gospel, the good news of our improved well-being. Have you seen the uh, internet craze uh, where people take a picture of themselves out on a walk and say, I'm out on a stupid walk for my stupid mental health? Um, me and Sophie, my wife, have taken that on now. Whenever we're like in a bit of a grump and we don't want to go for a walk, and we, I, I, I never want to go for a walk, but then we go for a walk and I was oh stupid walk for my stupid mental health, and we come back and grumble about how we feel better, but don't want to recognise it. <laughs> it's the conversation that working in mental health with young people I have the most often. Like when we're leading up to this, the holidays, I'm like, oh, and hasn't the sun been great? And are you going to get outside this week? Are you going to do something outside? And I realise that suddenly I am like, I sound like my mother speaking to me when I was a teenager when all you want to do as a teenager is sit in your dark room be on your games not go outside and then you reach this point don't you in kind of like early adulthood where you're like oh there really is something to that and I do actually feel better when I'm outside and then you start regurgitating this thing of like you'll feel better if you go outside they just look at me like I don't want to go outside yeah <laughs> I loved it during lockdown when we weren't able to have church on a Sunday morning. So I went for a, uh, a walk on a Sunday morning. And for me, that was a, it's probably wrong to say this, but I connected more with God in that context mm. than I would in a church gathering. Yeah, I was listening to a, a talk actually by, by Carl Beach, who's just been at the Savage Nami's Pioneer Gathering. And um, that's on the SA Pioneering podcast. Um, so I was actually editing the podcast earlier today. So that's going out soon on that. Um, it's well worth a listen. And he talks about how um, he, the, the church community he's part of at the moment, they don't have a Sunday meeting. And they say that they, they do it to try and really take this idea of Sabbath rest really seriously. And instead of um, having a meeting, they'll they might meet up and go for a walk outside. Then they'll go to someone's house and have some food, or um, just like watch a film, or or chat together, or um, all all sorts of things that they do. But it has to be rest, and it has to be things that feed back into them, and that's uh, what they do on a Sunday, and that's just part of their rhythm. And I just love that. How cool is that? <laughs> well, not for you, because you don't like going on stupid walks. Well, <laughs> when I'm out on it, I, I enjoy it reluctantly. <laughs> All about step count, anyway. It proves the step count. <laughs> So I've been reading a book recently by Tom Wright, uh, called, and it's called uh, Surprised by Hope. And one of the chapters uh, in the book, Tom Wright talks about um, a school of thought, I guess, around this topic of the environment. And the whole book itself is about heaven and um, eternity and all the things to come. And he talks about how there is this school of thought that says that um, when we die and when, you know, the, the, the judgment comes at the end of times, God is going to scoop us all up off the earth, take us somewhere else. The earth's going to be destroyed. So there is no need to care about climate justice today. And uh, Tom Wright takes a dim view of this, um, this school of thought, I should say, at, from the off. Um, and I, I, I do myself. But I just wondered, there's this 
strange relationship there between our views about heaven and eternity and our views about climate justice. And I wondered whether you've ever you, you've ever kind of considered the relationship between those two. What springs to mind for me, though, um, is uh, the Lord's Prayer. Um, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I want heaven to be great and I know that heaven is going to be great. And, you know, that is all great to come. But I want heaven to come down on earth. Mm. I want heaven to be here today for everyone, you know, and that can't happen if if we've got this big climate emergency hanging on our shoulders. Um, but I believe that the kingdom of God is, you know, renewable and sustainable um, and, you know, life in all of its fullness for, for everyone. Um, and that's that's not what the climate crisis is is creating for people. Mm. So actually, if we want to answer that prayer, then, then we need to face the, the climate crisis head on. And we want people to have clean water and suitable housing and life in abundance and, and not being not worrying about where the next meal is going to come from or if it's going to rain tomorrow um but but we want god's heaven to to be here on earth for, for people to live and experience them um, in all of its fullness now um so it, it just just makes sense to to me to to not ignore it but actually to cling on to it and and to look forward with with hope uh, because we have hope um the climate emergency is terrible and awful and we can weep and mourn um and you know lament but ultimately we are we are looking to heaven um, and we want heaven to come down and so so we'll work towards that with with hope with the hope of the gospel um that that everyone um can experience fullness of life for all with jesus you know that's what we're about the salvation army um so so it that that's what springs to mind for me um but i think it is easy to get into the pattern of saying hey we don't want to change so it's going to be okay because the bible says so and we've done that before in the past, um, but, yeah. but we can't keep doing it. I remember um, similarly tapping into that um, when I when I was looking at um, Celtic spirituality. They have this really strong idea that there are that there are that there are spheres within the world where it is as if heaven and earth are touching each other, and I can't remember the technical term for it. But just a really nice image of a really powerful image of where it's really hard to tell what is to tell like what is heaven and basically what is earth. And you know, I think if so obviously Tom Wright obviously takes a sort of dim view to this school of thought, then I take then I take an extra extra dim view because. I'm going to be blunt. It just sounds really ignorant. Like, <laughs> like I, I, I can't dress it, up any, dress, dress it up any other way. It just sounds really ignorant. And, and, and I think, and, that, and I think that comes from the fact that um, perhaps it comes from a place of this stuff makes people uncomfortable because it means that we are going to have to change things and we can't always have things, things, done for our preference and because we like them in that way and i yeah i think the 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 sort of call to action that that, that, I, that I guess um the salvation army's care for creation statement brings in um is obviously a a corporate call but i all i do think as well that it is a very much a, a personal call um as well and 
yeah, I take a very dim view to that school of thought. What a load of rubbish. <laughs> Tell us what you think, Luke. Stop sitting on the fence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, there's a few things going on there. I think one, you've totally hit the nail on the head about um, it's easier to avoid that personal responsibility by looking for theologies or any reason that will give you an out of of actually having to do something about it i think the other is uh, a bit a bit scarier of a thought in that i think sometimes uh, religion in parts of the world has cozied up to politics and has cozied up to nationalism in ways and big corporations that have actually it's affected our theology and it's affected things so actually if our theology and our our view of um, the way that church should be um, is benefiting major corporations more than it is the average person. Perhaps we've got some uh, priorities to sort out, and I guess <laughs> um, that that might be true of the, of that school of thought. Um, definitely, that it it doesn't seem to be very much focused on loving uh, the earth or loving um, each other or lo- loving the. the people that are oppressed and pushed to the side uh, but it does seem to favor those that have power and don't want things to change so yeah perhaps um, there's something more nefarious going on it's a conspiracy i tell you <laughs> it's a uh, very akin to sort of prosperity views of of the gospel isn't it as opposed mm. to servant servanthood um which is what christ calls calls us to and um you know if you have a view of um a view that is the prosperity gospel then um, you are less likely to want to make (laughs) sacrifices um, when it comes to issues like this I guess Okay, that's all we've got time for uh, on today's episode I really hope you've enjoyed the conversation I know I have and I've definitely been challenged by uh yeah a lot of the things we've spoken about today i'd love to hear uh we'd all love to hear your thoughts on this and your questions and uh if you want to share those uh we'll be in the listener group on facebook or you can uh, message us on twitter or or instagram or wherever you can find some sort of miracle uh podcast we'd love to hear your thoughts uh thanks lizzie for coming on uh thanks for having me Oh, it's been absolutely brilliant. And uh, yeah, we hope that, uh, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to say there. Um, I just want to put in and say, I'm going to remedy the double cup situation, Lizzie. I need you to be able to sleep at night and then I'm going to make sure that that is solved. (laughs) Uh, That's good. Uh, This is maybe the first podcast we've come away with action points. Yeah. Good. (laughs) I like it. Uh, Yes, uh, but yeah, we'll be back in a few weeks' time. Until then, be well.